Hey everybody, Jeremy Markovich here. Two quick notes before we get going. First, this podcast has a new home. It's now part of the North Carolina Rabbit Hole, which you can find at ncrabbithole.com. There you can check out previous episodes of Away Message. You can find any new episodes that we're putting out. And if you like this podcast, I think, no guarantees, but I think you will like my weekly newsletter. It is about weird North Carolina stuff. Comes out every Thursday. It is free if you want it to be. And you can sign up at ncrabbithole.com. Second, this episode was produced during my time at Our State Magazine. Now, I happen to think that most of it still holds up, but some of the promo codes and websites that I mention may no longer work. Okay, here's the show. Today, we are heading out to a remote place in the rolling green mountains of western North Carolina. It's a place you can only get to by boat. You can put your hand in the water and it feels warm, you know. It's a place that's owned by Eric and Laura Sneed, about a 20-minute boat ride from a marina on the eastern end of Fontana Lake, near Bryson City. Once we arrive, I get my bearings. That's Klingman's Dome peeking out behind the clouds over there. Huh. And the tour begins. Yeah, we'll set the fire pit out here, and then we've got the rocking chairs, and we uh, move everything back. And, and of course, the most important pe- feature of all, the tiki bar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there are these two little cabins right next to each other with sort of a 1960s retro look to them. So the reason it has tin siding on the on the outside of it is because that's how it was originally built. Uh-huh. Eric worked on construction projects for the Eastern Band of the Cherokee. He's a tribal member. Laura is an interior decorator, and so they know how houses should be built and furnished, but if you look closely at this place, some things are just a little off. Like, for instance, there's a small gate on the porch, but it doesn't always latch. You know, you can't build anything level. You know, I mean, so if you think about it, when you're building a house, you know, everything is, you know, you know, everybody levels things, right? I mean, you're building things square, you're building things level, and it's just like on the lake, you just can't think that way because the lake is constantly in motion. The houses are rocking. Yeah. When you're building, you know. Yeah, if you haven't already figured it out, Eric and Laura's cabins float. The Sneeds come out here on the weekends, they bring their kids, they swim, they ride jet skis, they cook out. They don't actually live here. Nobody's really trying to like live full time. No. On it these. would be I, I talk about it all the time. I'd love to try it, but it's like it's really it would be very impractical. Because for one thing, you have to bring everything in by boat. Plus, you have to make your own electricity. You have to run everything on gas or on a generator, you know. So the fridge runs on propane. You know, the little propane burners burning back there, boiling ammonia. There's no sewer, obviously. All of the waste goes into a holding tank. There's no water connection either, but, I mean, you are on a lake. I'll run a line down about six or seven feet and just pump from below the surface. It feels like everything that's on here is like basically like a like you're like a camping. Yeah, it is. We go glamping every weekend. <laughs> and the Sneeds are not the only ones. The low house over there is an older house. Uh-huh. In the same cove are dozens of other little floating houses. So we're kind of in a little community here with a few of the older houses, you know, if you will. Uh-huh. It's obviously not a normal community. The homes are big and small, from little wooden fishing sheds to. The equivalent of something you'd see on Tiny House Hunters. They're all privately owned and all spread out. You can't walk to your neighbor's place. You have to row or float or swim or take a boat. Now, that doesn't mean that people still don't do, 
you know, normal neighbor stuff. And so I was making meatloaf one night, and you were you weren't you were off somewhere, and you were gonna come back. But I was like, I forgot the eggs, and so I was. I was like, hey, you guys, like our next door neighbor, I'm like, do you guys have eggs by chance? And they're like, actually, we raised chickens. Here, you can have two. And so they just kind of floated over. They made the eggs, <laughs> and they floated back because they were swimming. <laughs> like, uh-huh. So then I made my meatloaf with their little brown eggs. Okay, so a couple of things. One, these are not houseboats because they don't have motors. The floating houses are just anchored to the lake bottom so they don't drift around wherever. Also, the homeowners pay taxes, and they have to get permits. That's the actual TVA permit number, 26477. And if you were like me, you're like, oh, a permit. So everything's legit, right? Well, it was, or at least Eric and Laura thought it was when they bought the place. But it turns out there was a catch. A pretty big catch, actually. Because the federal government, specifically the Tennessee Valley Authority, manages Fontana Lake. And for decades, they, let's just say, they tolerated those floating homes. Until one day, a couple of years ago, when the TVA changed its mind. And what happened next led Eric and Laura far away from the quiet hills of western North Carolina to a very strange place. The Subcommittee on Government Operations will come to order, and without objection, the chair is authorized to... The halls of Congress. Let me go to Ms. Sneed. In your testimony, you recount how you... Ms. Sneed, I want to make sure I understand... We'll give Ms. Sneed a chance to say a little bit. Ms. Laura Sneed. Ms. Sneed. Ms. Sneed. Ms. Sneed. From Our State Magazine, this is Away Message, a podcast about what you find in hard-to-find places. I'm Jeremy Markovich. So, a little bit of history here. This is the Tennessee Valley. Let's start with the year 1933. That is when Congress created the Tennessee Valley Authority, or TVA. And over the next few decades after the Great Depression, the TVA put tens of thousands of men to work, using dynamite, bulldozers, and concrete to build a series of dams across the southern mountains. Just a few months after authorization by Congress, work has started on a tremendous project. The dams would create electricity, which would power factories, which made the stuff that the United States would use to win World War II. Now, there were a lot of side effects, the biggest being the thousands of people who were displaced when their valleys were flooded. But the government looked at the flooding in a different way. And there is recreation. Now, those dammed up rivers created Fontana Lake and more than a dozen others. But in creating the lakes to control floods, aid navigation, and generate power, TVA set the stage for a new industry. Tourism. These lakes are widely used for boating, swimming, and fishing. And then, sometime in the 1950s, somebody got this crafty little idea. Why not build little floating cabins and just anchor them in your favorite fishing spots? You know, just a little place to tie up your boat on the weekend, hang out, fish a little... This idea steadily spread and spread, and today, there are something like 1,600 floating homes on TVA lakes. Now, some of them on the other lakes are pretty big, like 2,000 square feet big. Others are basically oversized closets. But over the course of 70 years, those homes went from oddities to just part of the scenery on TVA lakes across the south. 
When we were dating, I had come down here and we went to the dam. Years ago, Laura and Eric are living in Cherokee, about a half hour drive from Fontana Lake. And there were the, I saw the houses for the first time in my life. And after they got married, they're like, let's buy one. So I was on Facebook yard sale one day and it popped up. Uh-huh. And I was like, hey, this look one. at this. <laughs> yeah. And so we looked at it and we bought it. <laughs> and then, then we found out the mess that it was. They had to run off a family of cute little otters that was living under the house and eating the floor joists. Plus, they took down an old sign that basically said anybody was welcome to hang out here. People would literally just, like, come and just crash on this house. Yeah. They made it kid-friendly. They had holes to fish in. I'm like, yeah, that's a death trap for our children. (laughs) But they get it fixed up. A year later, in 2015, they buy another floating home that's in much better shape. They hook them both together, get their permits, pay all the fees, and finish all the repairs. And then... Right about the time when they can finally relax and enjoy the fruits of their labor, a postcard comes in the mail. It's an announcement from the TVA. So we've got the announcements in February. And, you know, obviously we have spent a lot of money. And it says basically those homes you just spent a lot of time and money fixing up, there's a good chance that you're going to have to remove them. In fact, all of the homes on every TVA lake, the ones that have been there for decades, those might have to go too. Eric goes down and talks to this old-timer who runs the local marina. And the old-timer says, eh, don't worry about it. Man, he said, TVA's tried this stuff a dozen times, and it never goes anywhere. This is not going to do anything. They're not going to accomplish anything with this. They never change the rules. They always talk about it, but it never happens. And so when they made the announcement, what they actually made the announcement that they were doing is they were actually going to do an EIS. What, what is EIS? So that's an environmental impact statement. What that tells me, of course, I've managed projects all my life on a federal Indian reservation. So uh-huh. when you as a federal agency are, are intending to deploy federal funds or resources in some way to take some action, the first step is to take an EIS. If they're investing in doing an EIS, I said, that's not around anymore. Eric was right, because in just a few short months, the TVA would make a very big decision. It was a decision that sent Eric and Laura on a path that would end in our nation's capital. I had to testify uh, before the congressional Laura got to testify before Congress. What happened when homeowners went to Washington and found themselves up against a very big and very powerful government agency when we come back. Good morning. This is Away Message. I'm Jeremy Markovich. On behalf of the TVA board, I would like to welcome each of you to today's listening session and thank you. In May of 2016, the TVA holds a board meeting at a state park in Tennessee, and a lot of floating homeowners show up. Please, we're just trying to make some additional room. We're adding some chairs out here in the lobby. One by one, they all get up to ask the TVA board and its CEO not to remove their homes from its lakes. The TVA and the public gain nothing from destroying these homes. Thank you. 20 minutes in, Laura has her chance to speak. If this was the right solution, all these people wouldn't be coming together. You're, you're hurting North Carolina. You're hurting communities in Tennessee. After two straight hours of owner after owner coming up to the microphone. Thank you, Joe. Good morning, everyone. The CEO of the TVA 
gets his turn. And I can't think of a better place than being at a state park to get to the heart of the issue on floating houses, which really is who owns public resources. And Bill Johnson, who is the CEO here, says some people are worried about pollution. Some people are worried about the floating homes being in the way of boats. But most of all, TVA lakes are a public resource. The homes floating on them are private. And that's the big issue. For example, I mean, you probably wouldn't go out and build a cabin in, let's say, a public park. And if you did, the park would have every right to get rid of it. And the TVA said the same goes for our lakes. Let me go off my script here and just say what I heard this morning. What is being asked for is a permanent use of public property. Here's the thing. The TVA could have removed those original homes as soon as they popped up, but they didn't. Instead, the TVA eventually just issued permits and put a cap on the number of legal homes and came up with all sorts of rules and regulations. But remember that guy that Eric talked to down at the marina? The guy who said the TVA was all talk and no action? Bill Johnson, the CEO, says that guy was basically correct. And it's very clear that enforcement of ITVA of these standards has been lax. It has been uneven over the years. That's clear. And we need to do something about that. And I apologize for that. But it is also hard for me to grasp that lax enforcement creates a perpetual right. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? No. Two. I think it passed on a 7-2. And we again the decision, the houses had to go. All of them. Not immediately. Owners would have 30 years to remove them. But the effects of that vote started right away. A ton of houses for sale, like two over there and one over yeah, there. People and this were panicking. Year, they thought they were going to lose them. And that gets at something else. So how much did you pay and then how much work did you put into in, into these houses? This one was nine ninety five. This one, we, we, we paid 9500 for this house. 9500 Yes. Now, if you total up the whole cost to buy and fix up both homes, it's a decent amount, but it's nothing compared to the homes nearby, the ones on land. You can see the biggest one poking out above the trees on top of a hill just about a half mile away. It's huge, worth about $3 million. Like the guy up on the, ha- the hill on the top, he has a the helicopter. seasonal homes. He comes from Georgia on a helicopter. So the people who live on land are, are on a different strata than than the people that are out here on the lake. uh, So, I mean, this is basically the locals. Yeah, and that is the underlying issue here. Over time, huge chunks of land in Graham and Swain counties, land that used to belong to the locals, went from private to public. The government got a hold of it and turned it into Fontana Lake and the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and the Nantahala National Forest. It's a huge area that's now enjoyed by thousands upon thousands of people from all over the country. But it's made of a property that used to belong to local families. And today, the little private land that's left in that area, it costs a lot of money. That lakefront property has become so expensive around TVA lakes um, that it essentially, is, it, is, it has become preemptive now for like a real person to enjoy the lake, right? So uh-huh. instead, the people who live nearby, doctors, business owners, families, and fishermen, they bought floating houses. And Eric and Laura needed to get all of those people together to keep those houses from disappearing. So they went out and started a petition. The petition that we started in a month was just under 4,000 signatures. 
for an yeah. issue that's not nationwide, that's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and It was know. enough to get the attention of all the politicians. One of them was Mark Meadows, a local congressman who was rising up through the ranks in the House. The states talked to him, and he said, yeah, I'll help. But they also needed some muscle in the U.S. Senate. And it just so happened that one of North Carolina's senators, Richard Burr, was up for re-election. Again, we had to learn to be political advocates, yeah. right? Uh-huh. So then it's like, okay, it's so we literally families. go and we yeah. meet with Burr, and it's just like, it's like, man, I'm not, I'm just a person, right? We're just members of a community, but I'm telling you that if you help save floating houses, you are affecting hundreds of families in Western North Carolina. You are probably going to pick up votes. Burr is also on board, but Meadows says he wants Laura to make her case in person. Rise and raise your right hand. And so, in September of 2016, just. Four months after Laura found out her floating home had to be removed, she finds herself in Washington, D.C., facing a congressional committee and sitting on her right, the CEO of the TVA, Bill Johnson. And TVA believed these structures would actually disappear over time. And right away, it gets contentious. You should know that answer coming here, testifying before the United States Congress. And then there's this testimony, which I don't quite know how to describe. Hypothetically, just say you own a home, and, and you're wanting to sell that home, and nobody's wanting to buy that home uh, as you get older because you're, it's going to have to come off. What is that homeowner going to do as he's up 60, 70, maybe 80 years old in their family, and they want to get rid of that home and they can't afford to? You know what's going to happen to that home? Lightning is going to mysteriously hit that home. And it's going to burn and sink in the bottom of Fontana Lake and float all over the place. <clears throat> what are they going to do? Who are they going to sue? A dead man? I mean, get serious and not do something like this. It, it, is, it don't even make sense. That's what's going to happen to them. They said I should ask you questions. I said they're right. <laughs> but when the congressman turned to Laura, she is cool under pressure. Let me go to Ms. Sneed. In your testimony, you recount how you followed the rules. How'd you feel when the board announced its policy to remove all floating homes? Well, when I, when I received my postcard in the mail, I was kind of going through my mail, and I, I read it, and I was just, just taken aback. And I, w- I was shocked because, I mean, we, were, we, did it, you know, we did it right. Could you just give me in general how you feel that impacts the sense of community that you have over there? It is a really strong sense of community, and, and, and this event has actually brought a lot of people together. And as the hearing goes on, it is clear that most of the congressmen understand the plight of the TVA, but they also sympathize with Laura and the homeowners. But there's this moment when you start to realize what the outcome is going to be, when Congressman Meadows goes on the offensive against the TVA's Bill Johnson and reaches all the way back to the creation of Fontana Lake back in the 1940s. You took their land. Now you're trying to tell them to get off of what you took originally, is that fair? So I wasn't around when that Mr. happened. Mr. Johnson, <laughs> I know you weren't. Neither was I. But you I, read, don't you? Oh, yes, I read. Did you condemn the land and Absolutely. did you take it? Absolutely took it to help win World War II. There's no and I'm glad we that. did. Yes, sir. And you know what? The people of Graham and Swain County are glad you did. Yeah. And all they want to do is get a little bit of it back. All they want to do. Yeah. Now, here, here's what I want, I want to ask you, Mr. Johnson. You're watching News Channel 11. A decision to remove all floating homes from Tennessee Valley Authority waterways in 30 years has been overruled. Three months after the hearing in December 2016, a bill to keep the houses on Fontana and other TVA lakes 
becomes law. President Obama signed the law preventing the Tennessee Valley Authority from removing those floating homes very popular in this part of the world. News Channel 11's Carissa Winstead spoke with an owner of one of these homes who has been fighting for this for years. Fontana's about fishing cabins and family weekend getaway kind of things, you know. And those places are going to stay. The TVA still gets to make rules and issue permits, charge fees. They're not going to allow new floating homes to be built. But the communities on TVA lakes, including here on Fontana, are no longer in danger, which means Eric and Laura and their kids can keep making memories here, one weekend at a time. Uh-huh. You can just sit out on the porch, like, we'll, we'll pull this in the center, and we'll get the to the chairs and, like, the stars. Well, we've got the, the sticks in there for making s'mores, and the boys love to put our yeah. marshmallows. Yeah. But, like, yeah. the sky it's like at night, camping. It's, so, it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> and then sometimes you can see a glow over the mountain from Gatlinburg over there. Uh-huh. And um, it's just really, and it's really peaceful and really quiet. Away Message is written, edited, and produced by me, Jeremy Markovich, with production help from James Michkowski. Our digital manager is Kimberly Simpson, and our editor-in-chief is Elizabeth Hudson. Our closing song is Oak and Pine by Time Sawyer, a great band from Charlotte. Additional music in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions and Lee Rosevear. This podcast is a production of Our State Magazine, celebrating North Carolina for more than 80 years. If you are not a subscriber, head over to OurState.com, click on subscribe, use the promo code AWAY, and get $5 off a year's subscription for you or for a gift. It's our thank you for listening to the show. And one more thing. There are some railroad tracks up on the shore of Fontana Lake, and it turns out nothing disrupts a podcast interview like an old-fashioned steam train. I heard it. I heard it. I heard it's it been, way up there. It's been blowing its horn down there. Right, pull your horn, Steve, man. Pull your horn. We are back out on the road, working on the next episode of Away Message. We'll talk to you again real soon. And you build the ships that bring you home.